before we start today's video, we'd like to thank Lithium Royalty Corp, listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange, ticker symbol LIRC. We'll share more later in the video. But it's certainly, it's been a year since I did uh, the November 22 and the uh, crowds have thinned along with the lithium price in that year. I feel like I know everyone in here. So, let's have a look. There's been uh, a bit of um, disinformation, I think, around uh, EV demand, so that'll, that'll come up in here. So, I mentioned it in May when I presented the 22 supply shortfall that we had, it turned out to be greater than we thought because a lot of lithium went to, into midstream and downstream inventory. And then, of course, what we've had, everyone, the, most, the four most dreaded words in investing this time is different. It turned out high prices do cure high prices in lithium as well. And what that meant is that we have reduced our supply shortage forecast for this year. But that excludes inventory adjustments and what we've seen is the excess cathode and battery inventories for 22 have been drawn down in 2023. EV sales perhaps a smidgen behind original forecasts, but we've seen interest rates skyrocket over the last while. But we still see something around 13.5 to 13.8 million units for 23. BYD and Tesla just under 5 million units between them. Battery energy storage, again, there can be timings, but that's looking like at least 80% and up. The issue seems to be around the future trend of sales growth going into 2024. The one thing that people need to take uh, cognizance of is EV sales are one thing, but in the end, it's really about the sales, not the sales. You've got gigawatt hour deployed. We have it at around 48% year on year. I think Adamus is at 50, so we're close. In terms of battery cells deployed in EVs in 2023, and that number hasn't really changed, and that doesn't look like slowdown to me. What was the issue? Our supply forecast for 23, when I came in May, I said the risk is Africa DSO, Lepidolide and Spodumin, and that turned out to be a real risk. And of course, the destocking we've had in battery cell and cathode. However, despite all that's gone on and despite the severe correction in lithium, we still see a lot of M&A activity. Ultimately, downstream is concerned about where they're going to get their supply in the longer term. And we're seeing a smaller group of players controlling a larger percentage of the feedstock, and that certainly played out in Australia. And I think it's important to acknowledge that because that will be meaningful in the years ahead when the cycle turns and who is controlling uh, feedstock in the market. Where are inventories? Albemarle had a stab at it in their latest quarterlies. They have inventories at uh, quite low levels for cathode and a little bit higher at upstream. We're not quite as bullish, but uh, we would say globally below 30 days for both of those. And then what about batteries? They didn't talk about those. That matters. In the end, is it batteries deployed or is it batteries sold that you've got to look at at the, uh, at the battery makers for inventory? 
it just sits somewhere else or does that matter? But our feedback is that CATL used to be over 100 days. Now that's down to just over 50. So we think the trend in the destocking and the trend in the inventories is definitely an improvement. Um, now it's a question of when do you see restocking? That's the million dollar question, but uh, we've definitely seen an improvement on drawing down of inventory. Where are we now? This was the original chart in red is battery grade, which is the most important net supply. This was my forecast at the end of last year. You can see 22 ended up a greater shortfall, but that has had an impact on bringing various projects into production particularly Africa, so I've narrowed substantially in terms of undersupply, excluding inventory going forward for the next few years. So we still see a touch and go. Again, if a new project comes on or something is delayed in an industry that's in its infancy, that's going to have an impact. But we think excluding inventory, we still are in undersupply going forward, but not as extreme as we saw in the past. Now we get to EV sales. You will have seen a lot of what's going on in the market about some of the big marquee brand names and legacy OEMs easing back on, on expansion plans. But you need to understand in terms of where they are in volumes. This is only pure battery electric vehicles, but quite clearly, BYD and Tesla dominate this and make no mistake the new Chinese EV brands are also picking up so my viewers and you'll see when I make some commentary now on pricing the legacy OEMs have a problem what are we talking about in terms of are EVs under threat or are they not making ground this is a chart from Bloomberg's about where the model three and the model y of tesla price relates to the average new car price in the us you can see over the last five years what's happened with the model three that's gone from a premium of about twelve thousand thirteen thousand dollars to now being at a five thousand dollar discount to the average new car price now add the ira seven and a half thousand dollar subsidy onto that and then add states like illinois that give you a four thousand dollar subsidy and that for the right buyer can be a sixteen thousand dollar discount to the average new car price so evs are becoming competitive this is before new models come in the model y slightly more but again if you qualify for the ira subsidy and state subsidy you can come in well below so then the question is what's going to happen in the US particularly. The Tesla supercharging infrastructure is now opening up to non-Tesla vehicles. That will be an improvement because that's a concern. And then you're seeing uh, companies, even Volvo, on the new X, EX30 is coming in at under $40,000 and the average new car price in the US I think is 48. So more models coming in at cheaper than the average car price we think is good for demand. Not only that, a lot of these have decent-sized batteries, so gigawatt-hours deployed and lithium demand is a beneficiary of that. So what is the issue, to my mind, 
what are one of the things that is facing legacy OEMs and what is the problem? So on the far left, that's an ID4. The base model in the UK retails for $45,000 for that car. To the right of that is the Zika. It's just been released in China. That's 32. And then on the far right, a Kia EV full SUV electric is $21,000 in China. So what are you selling and where are you selling it at? $45,000 for that is expensive. I understand why Europe is cooling off. They don't have a lot of um, lower-end price models with um, high specs, and that is a concern. The next thing we go to is looking at the legacy OEMs versus BYD and Tesla is what is the problem for legacy OEMs? Well, they have an EV offering that's got a higher sticker price. It doesn't address the mass market adoption for, EV, for EVs. They have a lower range. They have a worse acceleration performance. They've got a poor charging network. They don't have FSD or self-autonomous driving doing it. And then there's a profitability issue. So they are facing issues on all fronts. As examples, on the right there, Ford in the third quarter lost $36,000 for every EV they sold. And Lucid in the second quarter lost $544,000 per car they sold. So battery BMI came out with an average pack price of $96 per kilowatt hour. That is definitely the foundation for price parity for EVs. So that's not the issue. The issue is if you're going to do a mass adoption to EVs globally, you need product in the ten dollars to $30,000 price range. We chatted earlier, Matt and I, about what uh, the average price of a new car is in Europe and the UK, and it sits squarely in the middle of that band, but EVs are double that in Europe. So that is the, is the concern. BYD's got the Seagull that starts at $11,000 a car. And I just showed you the Kia EV5 at 21.5 in China. That is where the market's at, not $45,000. So how are the legacy OEMs going to compete? Are you going to hide behind government regulation and tariffs and protection? Or how are you going to compete in a global market? That's a concern. But we don't think, given where the average pack price is at, and where the lower priced offerings are at, that there's an EV demand problem. We think there's an EV demand problem for very specific people. It's just you associate them as a top brand in the internal combustion engine market, but they're not there in EVs. Jumping in here from the editing room to tell you about Lithium Royalty Corp. Lithium Royalty Corp is at the center of a global energy transition and manages a globally diversified portfolio of lithium-focused royalties in electrification and decarbonization. With 32 royalties on 29 higher grade, lower cost projects from exploration to production, LIRC covers all the bases with well-managed risk, ESG considerations, and a scalable royalty structure. Lithium Royalty Corp is traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange ticker symbol LIRC. To find out more, visit lithiumroyaltycorp.com. A chart to look at as well is what is the share of Chinese OEMs in China exports to EU. It used to be dominated by Tesla and others, but now you can see 
that Chinese OEMs are on the rise and Europe's woken up to it a little bit late. How are they going to deal with it? We shall see. But globally, Chinese OEMs are going to go at one hell of a pace. And I think by the time that legacy OEMs wake up, they're going to have a real problem with market share on a ex-China, ex-US, ex-Europe basis. So what's happening in Europe that's also causing a bit of an impact? Brussels decided earlier this year that cars running on synthetic e-fuels can be sold till later. That's a change in policy. They came under pressure. So that has delayed the transition. And you saw in the UK here a ban on selling new petrol cars from 2030 was pushed out to 2035. So the sort of drive and impetus to changing earlier to EVs has been pushed out to some extent. Again, you can do this in localized economies, but unless it's going to happen on a global basis, which we don't think it is, it's about protectionism in Europe for a period of time, but in the end you can't fight economics. Mass adoption in blue, that's the US sales growth, and in the red is Europe. Those have, there's some subsidy impact there where you've had a spike in Europe and the US is slowing down, but it's coming off a, off a high base. From 1 January, the IRA EV subsidy is at point of purchase, not at a tax credit. So you get it immediately when you buy it, which we think is going to be a huge positive. But what I've put there is our RK equity compounded growth rates for EV sales between now and 2030. And if you look at that, those lines are not excessive. They are below trend in the US and it depends on how you look at Europe there. So we don't expect a huge growth from those markets. So we don't see a concern. They, our growth rates are well below early adoption lifting. And as an example, next year, if you do EU and UK, if you if we're 5%, if the actual sales come in 5% below forecast, that's only 150,000 units as a shortfall in a 17.2 million global EV market, so not even 1%. And on that theme, at the rate that the rest of the world, so outside of the big markets, is growing at, and just to be clear, this year, I think in half one, it was over 100%. I think it's 105% year on year because... Those markets are in early adoption, Australia and elsewhere. We believe that though that rest of world collectively will be bigger than the US by 2025 and bigger than the EU and UK by 2028. So again, it leads back to who's whining about EV sales and how relevant are they going to be in the future. You need to see what markets are coming and who's going to service those because it's, it, China's not slowing down. As far as energy storage is concerned, this is on the left is Tesla ramping. I was expecting better than that. Lathrop is a 40 gigawatt hour capacity, so it should be able to do 10 in a quarter. They aren't quite there. They're ramping up. Just as a FYI, the Shanghai plant of Tesla is going to be 40 gigawatt hours as well. That's due supposedly for completion in Q2 next year, and that will mean 80 gigawatt hours of capacity for Tesla, and they were at six, I think, two years ago. And then look at solar installations in China this year. They basically exceeded last year by June. 
Now, there may be changes in policy here and there, but by and large, backup storage is needed on all of these new projects and elsewhere in the world. So we are outlier bullish on energy storage. We think it's a terawatt hour market by 2030, about a quarter of where EVs are at, but on a growth rate basis, a really big market going forward. So again, a solid demand driver. If we quickly look at the economics of lithium, in my opinion, you see a lot of reports doing cash cost basis, but we don't. You need to look at an all-in sustaining cost. You need to look at the differential between production and shipment, how much you know, working capital you need for inventory, those kind of things. In my mind, the floor is about $1,200 a ton. If you take a conversion factor based on those sort of grades, you take transport costs, etc. It's about 14,300 XVAT and about 16,200 uh, with VAT as a break-even price. I think the lithium spot price in China at the moment is just under 20, so 19. So anything can happen in the short term, but I think you can't in my opinion, for any length of time, go below that price. So we are closer to the bottom uh, than we are to where recovery prices were last year. So that's my thought on roughly where you should see this thing bottom out, anything below that. And we think people are going to need to raise money and projects could come into to some serious trouble. Where do we see the long-term fair value price? That hasn't changed just as something to look out for, unconventional flow sheets, so clay and, and DLE, they've all come out with CapEx numbers of between fifty dollars and $70,000 a ton. Just to be clear, you can build a Chinese converter for about $8,000 a ton, so that's the relative. You've high interest rates, so expensive debt and high RR and NPV requirements. Unconventional flow sheets have unproven operating costs. So the stuff that you're reading is strictly for spreadsheet and PowerPoint only. No one's proved that. We don't think that they can survive at the current prices. We think they even touch and go without government support and subsidies at our long-term price, which is 30,000 US a ton VAT inclusive and about 26.5 X VAT for us. If you want a broad indicator, I think if DSO is for me the canary in the coal mine, if you can ship 1% material around the world and convert it profitably, the top is near. It happens every time, and I think that's something to keep an eye out. All of the DSOs now obviously come off market and some of the lower grades, so if you see DSO shipping again, be warned. So what is the conclusion? We think energy, electric vehicles and, and battery storage are broadly on track. We don't see a problem. The year-on-year -year growth rate was always going to be lower because last year was an expectation around the end of subsidies. So we saw sales pulled forward into 2022. But despite that, numbers have held up, certainly in China. Tesla and BYD and other Chinese OEMs are still growing well above trend. They're still targeting much higher numbers. We don't see a concern. We think that if Tesla, BYD and these other Chinese OEMs reach their growth targets in 2024, then legacy OEMs need to only be in the low teens as growth for our 
total EV sales forecast to be met. We think that European and US OEMs are at risk of falling behind. We think that in the rest of world markets, they could really get cleaned up as, as EVs start to pick up in penetration there. Destocking has resulted in cathode production. This year has fallen well behind. It's more than 20% behind battery sales growth. How long will that last? We think in a six-month window, we will see the bottom in a turnaround. Um, if spodumen prices fall to 1,200 or lower, we believe that will sow the seeds for the next meaningful bull run because it's one thing in China, but in Australia and elsewhere, you shut down a mine, it takes a year to kick it off again after care and maintenance. And even then, you're going to wait for the window to see a recovery in prices. So that will cause a slowdown in supply. Our long-term price remains 26.5, excluding VAT. And despite all that's gone on and weak prices, we still see a lot of OEMs and downstream looking to lock in and secure uh, battery raw material supply and price to, to ensure their survival. Because if you're going to go to mass EV adoption, you need to go to the mid price and lower price end of the market, and you're going to need cheap raw materials. So that doesn't change. Expect M&A to continue uh, substantially. And that's it. Thanks very much.